This Friday as a church, as I have said earlier, we will unite in a season of fasting and prayer, expressing our ultimate preoccupation and utmost concern for the salvation and sanctification of our children. And for this reason, I have decided to step away from our verse-by-verse study of Acts and speak to you about this very issue, because I fear that for some, you may not share the same kind of distress that others might share regarding this issue. Certainly not enough to justify a time of focused prayer and fasting. You know, it's very easy to live in this little American bubble, isn't it? Especially here in Middle Tennessee, this area that we live in is kind of a Norman Rockwell painting. It's easy to detach ourselves from the reality of all of the wickedness that goes on in the world. And even the things that are going on even where we live. Things that we often don't see. Sometimes even as Christians, I fear that we can live in a perceived utopia that can lull us to sleep. Therefore, some will ask, why such a formal organized season of prayer? Why the fasting? You know, isn't that a little bit over the top? Well, in light of this, again, I believe the Holy Spirit would have me speak to you about the very real dangers that surround our children in particular, and in so doing, underscore the why of such extreme concentration on these issues. And so this will not be a typical exposition. In fact, I'm always a bit uncomfortable with topical messages because I find that it's hard to kind of rein in all of my thoughts It's a bit easier for me to just kind of take a text and say, folks, here's what the word's telling you. And so bear with me, this may not be the greatest of outlines. But my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will, as always, use his word to heighten your awareness of the immense spiritual dangers that threaten our children and threaten our youth. And as a result of that, to increase your vigilance in prayer as well as your passionate commitment to evangelize and disciple your children, not to mention pursue holiness in your own life. I'm going to approach this morning, this issue this morning, by examining the Word of God concerning basically three things. First, we're going to look at the truth about our children, their spiritual condition. Secondly, we're going to look at the truth about the enemy about Satan, about his character and his master plan to destroy our children. And then finally, I want to give you a practical example illustrating these dangers and how to war against them. We're going to bounce around with several texts. In a few minutes, we'll look a little more more specifically at 2 Corinthians 11. And then after that, at Romans chapter 12. So you can just keep that in mind. I'll let you know when we get there. Let me talk to you first about 
our children, the truth about our children. And I might add that this is a brief reminder of what I addressed in much more detail a few weeks back when I preached on principles of child evangelism, as well as three discourses on virtues of a godly man. And so if you want much more information, you can go back to that. But the truth about our children is simply this. They are born into sin. They are sinners by nature. In fact, we know that it is the testimony of Scripture that all men are born with a sin nature. Psalm 51, 51, the psalmist says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Literally, it is the testimony of the Word of God that all that man does and all that man is is fundamentally offensive to a holy God. We also read in Scripture that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Proverbs 22:15. He is by nature impetuous, he is morally deficient, he is utterly self-centered, demanding, He is even murderous. There are times with our children, if they could, even as infants, they would kill us. Proverbs 17, 25, we read, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Indeed, the Bible tells us that sin has penetrated the entirety of their being. It has corrupted their body, their mind, their will, and even their heart. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19 is a great text to underscore that. If we look at Romans 1 and verses 18 and following, we quickly learn that the seed of every imaginable form of evil exists in their heart. You know, it's hard to look at our precious children and acknowledge these things. It's hard to admit that given the right circumstances, those seeds can germinate and produce the fruit of wickedness. It's hard to look at our children and imagine the truth about them, which is simply this. Unless they come to a saving knowledge of Christ, they stand condemned before a holy bar of justice. That they're utterly unable to save themselves and apart from regenerating grace, they will die in their sins. It's for this reason that the most important issue for our children, their most important need is to be born again. Sadly, it is also the testimony of Scripture that Satan blinds men and women, parents, children, to the power and penalty of sin in their existence, as we will see. But dear friends, the reality is simply this. And if I can get very specific. For some, by the time they are in their early, early 20s, some of our children will have brought unimaginable grief and shame upon themselves and their family. That will happen even in this church. 
Some of our children will live lives of defiance and debauchery and immorality. Some of our precious children will literally drain the bank accounts of their parents and eventually even their own marriage and family. Some will marry and divorce multiple times and leave you to raise their children. Some, even now, are outwardly compliant but inwardly defiant. And we don't see it. Some, right now, are wearing a highly camouflaged cloak of religious hypocrisy. And one day, many of these children will make a profession of faith. For some, it will be real. For others, it will not be real. And on another day, they will apostatize and they will turn their back on the God they claim to love and the God that you presented to them, proving that their whole Christian life was a sham. Because God warned that there will be the few and the many, we know that some of our children will indeed live a lie. They will be self-deceived. They will live only unto themselves. They will never truly trust In Christ as Savior and serve Him as the Lord of their life. And again, they will die in their sins and enter into a place of eternal torment to endure the just wrath of a holy God for eternity. This is why we come together and pray with fasting for our children. Beloved, only God can save our children. We know that as we look at Scripture. But we are called to be instruments of righteousness in their life. We are commanded to pray for them. We are commanded to call them to repentance and faith in Christ. We are called to teach and model and, and, and discipline and instruct them. And you want to ask yourself, is this the passion and the preoccupation of my heart Does this stir my soul to prayer? Well, we are also warned to guard them from the enemy. So let me talk to you for a moment about the truth about the enemy. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll use this as a text, kind of a jumping off place. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The context here is Paul had a deep concern for the spiritual maturity and the heart purity of the Corinthian believers, something that all pastors share for their people. And and in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 11, he says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin, But I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. The context here, again, the Corinthian believers had been seduced by false teachers. False teachers are always Satan's emissaries. They had unsuspectingly bought into their sophisticated errors, which was basically an aberrant doctrine concerning the person and the work of Christ. You will find that this is a common theme for false teachers. This is the hallmark of their ministry to distort an understanding of the gospel. 
as well as the nature of genuine saving faith. In fact, we fight this literally weekly here at Calvary Bible Church with all of the things that that we have to deal with both in the lives of the people in the church and the things that come at us from outside the church. And as a result of all of this, Paul was righteously indignant against these false teachers and against Satan who inspired them. We know that he told uh, uh, Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.1 that they would be seduced by deceitful spirits and that these would be the teachings of demons, the doctrines of demons. And so Paul here, writing to the Corinthians, was furious with them, with the false teachers. He was brokenhearted that the believers had unwittingly become disloyal and unfaithful to Christ, to whom they had been betrothed. And so he gives insight then into the kind of seduction that caused this to happen. Notice in verse 3, he says, As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. And here we go back and we think of how did, did Satan, how did the serpent deceive Eve? You will recall that he appeared to her as a well-meaning, caring, concerned, approachable, intelligent friend that had both her best interest is heart at heart, as well as God's best interest at heart. And you will recall that he took the words of God and subtly and ingeniously twisted them to seduce her to sin. He appealed to her own flesh, her felt needs, and caused her to doubt what God had said, suggesting even that. Perhaps you misunderstood. And then he offered her a more attractive, alternative explanation. By the way, this is not only the common ploy of false teachers, but politicians. We see this routinely as they stand before great audiences and seduce gullible idolaters literally to tears with soaring rhetoric of distorted facts Blame shifting, red herrings, straw man arguments, and on and on it goes. But we know that in the garden, Adam and Eve bought the lie, they sinned, and they plunged the whole human race into sin, as Romans 5 goes into great detail to express. And I want you to notice how Paul describes the effect of their unwitting gullibility. He says in verse 3, so that your minds, literally your thoughts, will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. In other words, he is saying to them, these cunning deceptions have caused you to lose your single-minded devotion to loving and serving and emulating the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is always Satan's strategy. This is always his goal for believers. And we can apply these same warnings to every area of Christian life, including how we raise our children. You see, Satan wants to deceive us in all areas of spiritual understanding. And he offers a smorgasbord of lies that we can choose from. In 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11, we read how that we should be watchful against him. Paul says, lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. 
Now, obviously, non-believers are utterly ignorant of his devices, but even we as Christians sometimes, especially when it comes to raising our children, can be as well. I want to caution you, some of the things that I'm going to share with you this morning will be hard to hear. It was hard for me to even think about, but these are the truths that we see in Scripture and even the truths that we find in the lives of those that we love, some even within this church. And because Satan is so incredibly crafty and because our flesh is so incredibly deceptive, you will find yourself at times hearing things that I say And say, no, 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 that doesn't apply to me and my kids. Uh, No, those things are just personal preferences. No, 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 there's no, no harm in that. That's just being legalistic. No, 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 my kids are too well grounded to fall for that. And on and on it will go. But I warn you, dear friends, these are the words of oftentimes the proud and the deceived. So guard yourself here. Don't be too quick to dismiss what is true and try to justify what is false. Let me give you a brief reminder of the character and activity of Satan. His names reveal much as we look in Scripture. He is called the accuser of the brethren, the adversary, Belial, which means the worthless one. And he's everything, by the way, that he promotes will therefore also be worthless. He is called the devil, which means slanderer, dragon, which has the idea of being destructive. He's called the enemy, the evil one. In fact, he is intrinsically evil. He is called the God of this world, as Second Corinthians 4, 4. In fact, in 1 John 5:19, we read that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He is called a liar. In other words, he will be one who will pervert the truth in an effort to deceive. He is also called a murderer because he leads people to eternal death. He's called the prince of the power of the air. Literally meaning he is the ruler of a kingdom of demons, a ruler of the kingdom of darkness, and certainly the ruler of all unbelievers. He is called a roaring lion, referring to one who overpowers and destroys. He is called the ruler of demons, the ruler of this world, Satan, which again is the idea of the adversary. He's also called the tempter, the one who seduces people to sin. Scripture compares Satan to the snare of a fowler, a sower of tares, a wolf, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, a serpent. We read in the word of God that he is presumptuous, proud, powerful, wicked, cynical, crafty, deceitful, fierce and cruel. But dear friends, he is also a coward because we also read in the word of God, and I'm so thankful for this, In James 4, 7, that if we submit to God and we resist the devil, he will flee from you. Beloved, this is what our children are up against. Children who are already sinners by nature. Who are already slaves to sin, spiritually dead and blind and enslaved by their lusts. And as we examine scripture, 
we can glean some very important insights concerning Satan's methods, his master plan to destroy our children and, frankly, to destroy all of us. I want to give you four goals and two methods that Satan uses. Four goals. He's going to blind, tempt, and snare, and murder. Blind, tempt, and snare, and murder. And he has two methods to do that. He will use counterfeit, and he will conform you to the world. Let me talk to you about how he blinds. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, we read, The God of this world, small g, referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. In other words, dear friends, the ruler of the kingdom of darkness is a master at limiting both light and sight. He limits the light of truth and therefore destroys our ability to see it. It's interesting, there are underground lakes that you can go to in caves, some even here in Tennessee, where, for example, there are rainbow trout that exist. And those trout are blind, not because they were born blind, but because they have lived so long without light. And it's interesting, the same thing is true with human beings. I understand that medically, if we were to be placed in total darkness within about two weeks, we would lose our ability to see. Beloved, the same is true spiritually. If we have limited light, referring to the light of truth, if we are kept in the dark spiritually, eventually we get to a point where, where, where we can't see. For some families, they are doing exactly this with their children. There's really no Bible teaching. There are families that go to a church that is weak. They deprive their children of Christian educational opportunities, even within the church. They don't teach their children Bible doctrine, much less hold them accountable to it. You know, it's amazing. I see parents all the time who will allow their children to spend more time in the darkness of the world than in the light of the truth. And then they wonder why their children can't see. Let them be raised by daycares. Let them be influenced by non-Christian or even superficial Christian teachers. Pump the ungodly philosophies of, of Hollywood and the music culture into their minds through, through television and movies and, and, and iPods and videos. And you'll blind them to the truth. Remember, sinful man is already predisposed to not seeing the truth. We know that he despises the light of the truth that dispels darkness. Jesus said in John three nineteen, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, referring to himself, to Jesus. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Dear friends, I ask you, especially those of you who have children or who even love children, 
Where have you left your children vulnerable to limited light that will destroy their sight? Not only does Satan blind them to the truth, he tempts. He tempts people to act wickedly. We know that Satan is the author of temptation. We talked about that a moment ago with Adam and Eve in the garden. We also know that he tempted Christ in the wilderness for 40 days. We read that in Mark 1 and other passages. In Matthew 6, in verse 13, we are told that we should pray to be kept from his temptation. There we read, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And in Matthew 26, 41, we are told that we should watch against it. There we read, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Many other passages, 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. There Paul was afraid for the Thessalonian believers that the tempter might have tempted them. And for this reason, we have a great call to arms in Ephesians chapter 6. There in verse 11, we read, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Later on in verse 13 that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Now, friends, it's important for you to understand that Satan is exceedingly more brilliant than all of us combined. He is so clever that his temptations will never appear to be blatantly evil or just obviously wrong. We know that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. We know that Satan, as well as his emissaries in the church, will disguise themselves as messengers of truth. But rather, as he did with Eve in the garden, what he's going to do is offer you philosophies and even Bible doctrines that are extremely compelling, but they are false. And he will make you, through these false teachers, these false ideologies, believe that you are absolutely right, that your convictions are biblical, that your preferences are acceptable in God's sight. And anyone who dares to challenge you is just simply being narrow-minded and legalistic. He will provide false teaching that will assist you in crafting the most ingenious rationalizations and justifications for all you think and do, especially when it comes to raising your children. I've seen this over and over again. Here's the type of things that I've heard over the years as a pastor. Well, my kids just really aren't that bad. Satan's not all that powerful. The world isn't that bad. After all, I spend time with my kids. My kids are raised in a Christian home. We go to church. My kids go to Sunday school. We homeschool our kids. They're part of the youth group. And on and on it goes. The quote that I gave you this morning in your bulletin is one that 
kind of summarized my thoughts and I thought I would give it to you in your bulletin. There it reads, because Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, his deceptions will never appear as dark and foreboding, but as light and lovely. Wrong will seem right and evil good. Temptation is not so much the offering of that which is obviously vile, but rather the camouflaging of evil to the degree that we actually believe our sinful choices are good and even acceptable to God. I mean, think of Eve. It's not like Eve said, boy, I'm going to do this and I know it's really going to make God mad. Think of the Israelites when they made the golden calf. You realize they even called it Yahweh. They thought that what they were doing somehow was not only kind of bringing all of the other people together, but actually glorifying God. I see youth. Fortunately, not in this church, but in others. I think of one youth group in particular where I was with some of the some of the young people and I looked at them and they had tattoos all over their bodies and and piercing and and the please look at me hair and the and the immodest dress and, and, you know, that whole rapper look. And it was so obvious in talking with them and even their their leaders, they justify all of that. They justify their lifestyle under the guise of Christian liberty. These are just personal preferences. Oh, really? You see, friends, this is an example of the genius and power of satanic seduction and the false doctrine that justifies it. So he blinds and he tempts and then thirdly, he ensnares. This term ensnare is one that is used in the word of God to denote some bewitching, scheming, clever deception that traps a person in a lifestyle of dominating sin. First Timothy three, seven, we read that elders in the church must guard their reputation both inside and outside the church. Paul says so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. In the Greek, it's literally the snare made by the devil. And I would submit to you that those leaders in churches that would not only tolerate, but promote the types of things I just described in a youth group have fallen prey to this very thing. Second Timothy 2.26, Paul gave instructions to pastors to help them be more effective in ministering to those Within the realm of their ministry who are without Christ, he says that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Friends, you must understand to be sure Satan and his minions study the well-worn paths of our habitual weaknesses. They know our lusts. They know How to find just the right place to conceal some snare that would destroy us. He has a delicious seduction for every fool. Indeed, he has a deadly trap for every person who is unwitting. I think of all the traps that I see in our young people today. I see teens that are trapped in alcohol and drugs, teens that are trapped in homosexuality, 
pornography, habitual fornication. Just look at the whole spring break culture. Prostitution, sexually transmitted diseases, unwanted pregnancies, failed marriages. And then beyond that, other issues of the heart is the uh, anger and hatred and rebellion, ignorance, pride, depression. All of this is part of Satan's plan. He blinds, he tempts, he ensnares, and ultimately he murders. In John 8:44, Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And tragically, dear friends, and this could apply to some of our children, some of the very ones that we love here in this place. There's no guarantee that some of them will be blinded and tempted and ensnared and that they will never repent and they will be punished together with him as we read in Matthew 24:41 then God will say to those on the left hand depart from me you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels now a very fair question is how on earth can satan do all of this how does he pull this off what strategies does he use to blind people from the truth and to tempt them to act wickedly and to ensnare them, to cause them to do things that he wants them to do rather than God would want them to do? Well, the answer is twofold. He counterfeits and he conforms. Let me explain this. First of all, he counterfeits. We all know what a counterfeit is. It's something that is a fake representation of something else. It looks like the real thing, but it's not. It's a bogus copy. We know that every heresy is ultimately a counterfeit. And every heresy has major elements of truth to it. That's what makes it so compelling. In fact, every heresy will be 90%, maybe as much as 99% biblical. It reminds me of snake venom. It's 90% protein. But that 10% that's not will kill you. Think of Eve, how she was seduced by the counterfeit. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty, literally was more shrewd than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And remember how he worked? He got her to question what God had said. That's the first thing that happens. I don't know if that's really what the Bible says. I don't know. I think there might be a better interpretation here. He got her to question what God said. And then again, as I said earlier, he offered her an alternative interpretation that appealed to her natural sinful predispositions. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. First John two sixteen. Beloved, we know all through Scripture that Satan is a counterfeiter. I mean, we read that he disguises himself as an angel of light. We know, according to the word of God, that he puts tares in amongst the wheat. They look like the real thing, but they're not in the church. Believers who look like Christians, but who are not. There are false prophets who are called wolves in sheep's clothing, literally meaning they appear as shepherds because shepherds wore sheep's clothing. But in fact, they are ravenous wolves. 
There are false Christs, false teaching, counterfeit gospels, counterfeit churches. We know that Satan tried to establish a counterfeit kingdom on earth at the Tower of Babel. He is a counterfeiter. And I might add that since then, Satan has been scheming to once again establish his kingdom on the earth. We know that during the time of the tribulation, there will be a counterfeit trinity. There will be Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. There will be a counterfeit church, Babylon the Great, the mother of all harlots. There will be a counterfeit uh, death and resurrection, and on and on it goes. So the way he blinds, the way he tempts, the way he ensnares and ultimately murders is by using counterfeit. He also conforms. This is especially relevant to Christians. Turn to Romans 12. Here we read in verse 1 that having given our souls to Christ, we are also commanded to give our bodies, which encompasses our mind and our emotions, our will and everything we read in Romans 12:1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Spiritual, logikos, we get our word logical from it, can be translated reasonable service of worship. In other words, Paul is saying here, because of the mercy that God has showered upon you in his saving grace, acceptable worship is going to mean the offering of oneself to God in faithful, obedient, holy living. That's what is acceptable to God. Nothing short of that. But notice in verse two, he says, and do not be conformed to this world. Now, here is the opposite of verse one. Again, in verse one, he's basically saying you, you, you've got to die to self. You've got to live for Christ. You've got to live like Christ. You've got to be set apart from the world in purity of life and devotion for the purpose of glorifying God. And then he says, and do not be conformed to this world. This is the opposite. And here we see the danger of what can happen to a Christian. And beloved, here's what can happen to our children whether they're believers or even non-believers. Conformed, interesting word in Greek, suske metizo. It means to be formed or molded after something where the outward expression does not correlate with the inner nature. It's the idea of wearing a mask. It's the idea of a masquerade. And the idea of putting on an act. And it's interesting that this verb is in the passive voice, which means it's not going to be something that you are going to choose to do. It's going to be something that will happen to you. It will be something that you will unwittingly, unsuspectingly allow to be done to you by something else. And what is it? What is it that's going to perform this on us? What is it that's going to conform us? It's the world. The ion in the original language. Now remember, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan is the god of this world. So what we see here is a warning. On the one hand, he's saying, I want you 
to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. That is what is acceptable. But be careful. Otherwise, the world of which Satan is this God will conform you into it where you will wear a mask that does not represent your inner nature as a Christian. The word world is a reference to the satanic spirit of the age, the amalgamation of satanic lies and human philosophies, all of the deceptions that are out there. There is a classic definition of this term world, ion, by a great scholar named Trench. And here's what he said. It is all the floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations at any time current in the world, which it may be impossible to seize and accurately define being the moral and or immoral atmosphere, which at every moment we inhale again and inevitably exhale, end quote. I want to give you some examples of the world today. Think of our current world system, even in our Western culture. I was reading something on the Internet from Planned Parenthood, which is a billion dollar corporate abortion provider that uses our tax money to promote all manner of immorality. And on the on one of their websites, they had a whole section called Take Care Down There. Speaking to young people. And it featured short public service uh, video clips promoting and offering instructions pertaining to casual sex, group sex and homosexuality. Yet during the fiscal year of 2006 through seven, they received three hundred and thirty six point seven million dollars from government grants and contracts. Be careful. Don't let that world make you like it, make you look like it, squeeze you into its mold. Think of our current educational system. Only a fool would deny that they are much more about changing attitudes and convictions and morals than they are teaching reading, writing and arithmetic. So Paul's warning here, as well as his command, could be put this way. Dear Christian, do not allow the satanic system of this world to unwittingly influence your life, causing you to wear a masquerade of worldliness that does not reflect the transformation of your inner man. John MacArthur put it this way. And I quote, it is not uncommon for unbelievers to mask themselves as Christians. Unfortunately, it is also not uncommon for Christians to wear the world's masks. They want to enjoy the world's entertainment, the world's fashions, the world's vocabulary, the world's music and many of the world's attitudes, even when those things clearly do not conform to the standards of God's word. What sort of living is holy or that sort of living is wholly unacceptable to God, end quote. It's interesting. If you go to Romans 8:29, you don't need to go there, but we read that we are to be conformed to the image of his son. A different word there 
but it's a soon morphe in Greek. It's one that is is the opposite of what we've we've just read of suske metizo. This is a word that means we are to pattern our lives after Christ. An outward expression that does correlate with the inner nature, one that does emulate the nature of Christ. So that's why back to Romans 12, verse two, he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let it squeeze you into its mold, but rather be transformed. The word metamorpho, we get the word metamorphosis from that. Let the inner man be reflected in the outer man. And how does that happen again in the passive voice by the renewing of your mind? In other words, through the word of God, let there be a complete renovation of your thoughts so that your inner nature, if you're truly born again, will manifest itself. Oh, child of God, please hear this. The the world system is the enemy of God and the enemy of all who belong to him. And Satan's goal is to seduce our children by the world, to suck them into its vortex, to squeeze them into its mold, to get them to think and look and act like the world so that Satan can destroy their life. Instead, we read in Ephesians 4, verse 23, be renewed by the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Yet I can hear people say, yeah, but oh my, that type of life is is boring, it's no fun. Oh, dear friends, how wrong that is. Psalm 84, 11, we read, God says that no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Let me give you a practical application of how his schemes are used in the lives of our children. I want to focus on one of the most powerful and successful strategies that he employs in the area of entertainment, especially in the area of music, because this comes up frequently. And this hopefully will also give you a biblical criteria for establishing Christ-like preferences in your children and in your own life. Now, let me establish this, and I don't have a lot of time, so I'll kind of move through this quickly. I believe that one of the greatest tools that Satan uses today One of the greatest reflections of the spirit of the age is the media, is entertainment, especially music. And that has a staggering influence on our kids. In fact, I've seen um, pictures and video clips um, from youth all over the world. And it's amazing. They all look like they bought their clothes and kind of picked up the same hand signals and so on from the same stores. It all looks like MTV. I mean, you just see that that's just such a dominating thing. Someone has said, and I believe rightfully so, music has the power to move nations to war, and yet it has wooed a maiden to love. Music is powerful. Music is the universal language of the world. And the world loves to make it and hear it, buy it, worship it, speak it. Socrates once said, if I can write the music of a nation, I care not who writes the laws. Artists are philosophers, and the vast majority of them are emissaries of Satan promoting a world system that he is in control of. Therefore, the world's music will not only serve satanic purposes, but increasingly 
It will have the sound of the end of the age. Its ultimate goal will be to serve Satan, to help blind, tempt, and snare, and murder, to counterfeit, and to conform. We must understand that Satan, the musician, is going to exploit music to lead people away from the light into the darkness. And it's interesting, I believe, as as a musician myself, and as I've studied this, the music speaks far louder than the lyrics. Many times people say, well, it's not the music, it's the lyrics. Oh, baloney. It's about the sound, the feel. I mean, you could put Handel's Messiah to some rap tune and the kids would play it. You would hear the boom, boom. You would hear that because that's what they want. That's the feel. And when you think of the sound of of the music of the world today, it's bombastic, dissonant, pulsating, sensual syncopations. It's aggressive, rebellious, immoral, alluring, visceral. And in many cases, it, it requires no musicianship. People screaming into mics. Beloved, the world's music sounds different than the music of a Christian because it's exalting a different God. It's not designed to draw people to the thrice holy God. And when you synthesize the sound of our age with Christianity, I believe the gospel is weakened, it's not strengthened. You see, our songs are the songs of redemption, the songs of praise. The world's songs are the songs of sex and drugs and unrestrained self-expression. It's interesting, in 1960, I read that Russia outlawed rock and roll. Isn't that interesting? And when they did that, it reduced their crime rate among teens by 34.8%, while at the same time, crime in America and England increased by 50%, resulting in the highest juvenile delinquency rate in the world. Also, suicides and illegitimate birth rates increased as well. My, how times have changed. Handel's great oratorio masterpiece, The Messiah, written in 1741, that put scripture to music and extolled the messianic prophecies and exalted the Lord Jesus Christ, once drew such large crowds to theaters That history tells us that the ladies were asked not to wear their large hoop skirts and the men were told not to bring their swords because they couldn't pack everybody into the places. Well, there's no competition today with the Rolling Stones or Metallica or whatever some of these other groups are. Beloved, you must understand that sin is constantly mutating into a more virulent strain producing in every generation a greater love for all that God hates and a hatred for all that he loves. And as the end of the age draws near, the amalgamation of man's depravity will continue to move inexorably towards a global plague of unimaginable wretchedness that will ultimately coalesce around a final world system that is ruled by the God of this age And literally represented by the Antichrist himself. Parents, this is why we must fast and pray for these kinds of deadly influences on our children. You know, I think in Proverbs, beginning in Proverbs, there are several chapters that that 
basically underscore the profound importance of choosing our friends wisely. It's the whole issue of of helping our children and our young people know how to choose friends and with whom they should associate. And I believe parents are woefully neglectful in this particular vein. Many of our youth are strongly influenced by by the rock stars. I mean, these are the quintessential heroes of our of our culture. Not too long ago at the Olympics, those that won all the gold medals, they would the, the, the people that would interview them say, my, what does it feel like to be a rock star? I want to ask you, as you think about this, parents, because I believe this is far more than personal preference. This is far more than an issue of Christian liberty. Would you let your child hang out with pimps and prostitutes and drug pushers and drug users and homosexuals and thieves and liars and haters of God and lovers of Satan? Would you do that? Of course not. But yet, will you let them listen to their music? I, I, I don't understand that. I read in Proverbs 13:20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. First Corinthians 5, 6, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. First Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Evil company, what? Corrupts good habits. Solomon warned his son, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Then he went on to describe the kind of seduction that his son would encounter in life and gave him discernment to recognize it and how to reject it, even though it would be very appealing. In Proverbs 7, it's as though Solomon is looking through a window and he says, and and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, referring to the adulterous woman. Then he describes her seduction with her enticing speech. She caused him to yield with her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. Till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost him his life. And yet, dear friends, this is the dominant theme of what our children and our youth hear. This is the theme of the music of the world. The list of alcohol and drug related deaths in the rock music world and even in the uh, the um, country music world is staggering. And yet it's antichrist pro Satan decadence is pumped into our children's ears day in and day out. I would ask you name one rock star you would want your child to emulate. Elvis. Madonna. How about Michael Jackson, Britney Spears, or some some rapper with baggy clothes, baggy pants, exposing underwear, which originated in the prisons by homosexuals who were soliciting a partner? Is that what you want your child to be like? I mean, where is our discernment here? Beloved, this is so far beyond preference, it makes me sick. When I hear Christians say, well, no, no, you know, you need to back off here. No, it's not. This is way beyond this. 
You want your child walking around with his hat on sideways and his pants way down with that big walk swagger of arrogance and intimidation. Spouting off the rhythmic street poetry of racism, anarchy, sex and drugs and physical abuse of women. Is that what you want? Of course not. Beloved, we are commanded in Ephesians 2, 2 to walk differently from the world. He says, not according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We are called in James 1, 27 to keep ourselves unstained by the world, literally to keep ourselves unspotted without blemish. The idea that the world is toxic and you need to stay away from it. We went on to say in 1 Peter 1.19 with this idea of being spotless that we are to conduct ourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Dear friends, the best way to stay unstained is to stay away. To guard yourself, to guard your children. This is far more than preferences. And I want to close with these thoughts. You know, a wise and mature Christian will be one that is on guard, that will constantly be trying to avoid being stained by the world, will constantly be aware of his own inadequacies and lack of discernment will constantly be aware that the world is trying to squeeze him into its mold. The Word of God says in Philippians 4.8 that we are to let our mind dwell on whatever is pure, honorable, right, lovely, of good repute. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Young people, ask yourself next time you buy that video or or that CD, or listen to that particular song. And again, I'm not saying that they're all wrong and all evil, but so many of them are. Ask yourself, is this something that my mind should dwell on? Is it pure, honorable, right, lovely, of good repute, excellent, worthy of praise? Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22 that we are to flee from those youthful lusts, those passions of youth. And here's what we're to do. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So may I encourage you when you think of music, and this is just one example. You could apply this to so many other things, but ask yourself before you listen to it or buy it or sing it or whatever, what mood does it set? What philosophy or presupposition does it promote regarding this world system? Ask yourself, does it bolster the message that I hear from the pulpit? Ask yourself, does it confront or affirm the apostasy of this age? Ask yourself, does it confront the wickedness of the world? Does it exalt Satan or does it exalt Christ? And dear parents, I just pray that you will hear what I have to say. May these biblical warnings stir your heart to action. I've sounded the alarm here this morning. Don't ignore it in your life. Don't ignore it in the lives of your children. May it cause us all to get serious about these things.
for the eternal souls of our children and youth are at stake here. Let's pray. Father, thank You for these truths. I pray that You will cause them to change our hearts and our minds and to become more like You. Lord, we want to fully express our inner nature. We want to be conformed to Christ. Lord, give us discernment. You've given us so many things in the world to enjoy, even music, different forms of entertainment. But Lord, help us to be discerning. So we commit this to You. And we pray for our children and youth that You would be pleased to save them and guard them from the evil one as well as their own flesh. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to pastor, Bible teacher, and author David Harrell. For more information or to order additional tapes or CDs of Pastor Harold's messages, please visit olivetreeresources.org.